um, today we're going to be in our last message out of the book of Zechariah. And as you know, we've been um, particularly working our way through chapter 8 as a guide for us. And so you can open up there, Zechariah chapter 8. And um, we've been working our way through uh, what it is that God wanted to say to his faithful remnant who were left behind, or, or sorry, who've, been, who've come back to Jerusalem from exile in Babylon, right? And um, God appoints his prophet Zechariah to tell them some, some promises and some messages. And, and the two that we're going to look at today, both of them are very similar. Um, they're actually the last two that we've been, we've been working our way towards. And <clears throat> because I've kind of run out of Sundays before I go on holidays, I thought I'll just wrap it up and we'll do both at once. But it's good because they're both the same pretty much in what they're saying, right? And um, while God's people have been rebuilding the temple and while they've, it's really good that they've returned and God's gathered them back together in Jerusalem, um, you know, uh, it's, what they've been doing is rebuilding the temple to um, live out their connection with God and live out their covenant relationship that they've, they've had for centuries with him. While they've been doing all of this, God reminds them that while this is great for their own connection to him, there's something else that they should know. Right? And, and, and he brings this out in the last um, few verses of Zechariah 8. He says, while this is great that, you know, you're reconnecting with me, you've got my presence again, we're going to be able to live out our relationship together, um, there's something else that you should know. And he reminds them that their identity as, as a nation and as his chosen people was that they have been chosen and blessed in order that other nations and other peoples will also be blessed and will also be able to find their way to, towards God and towards relationship and connection with the living God. That all the people of the earth will be able to come to him and seek God with them as they worship him. Right, so you could imagine the feeling of being back in Jerusalem. Yes, we're rebuilding. Yes, this is good. We're finally, you know, out of the, the, the worries of other nations and so on. Um, this is going to be great for us. And God says, oh, by the way, that's all, that's all good and true, but let me tell you why I've done this. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. <clears throat> Excuse me. Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come. And the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. And verse 23 says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, 10 people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe, and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. All right, so what God is saying in the first couple of verses is that the people from other nations, and not just a few other nations, but from many nations, even powerful nations, and that idea when he says powerful nations, the, the idea is like this king that's just gotten all of his spoils and gathered them up from, from being successful at war. You know, like people who have everything and more. They're going to come to Jerusalem. They're going to come to this place that's being rebuilt 
where the faithful remnant have gathered. And the reason they're going to come to Jerusalem will be to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat Him. Some of the other versions say they'll come to worship and pray for His blessing. To ask the Lord to bless us. They'll come to plead for the Lord's favour. This is what God's saying to the remnant about other nations. It says that some people from one city will go to people from another city and will invite them with a sense of urgency. Come on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem with me. Let us go at once. We're, we're going to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. And I looked up what the word entreat means because it's not really a word that I use very often. And I was sort of, it caught my eye a little bit. It's, it's to ask someone earnestly or anxiously to do something. To ask someone earnestly or anxiously to do something. So when we go down to verse 23, it's got this image of 10 people, right, from all languages and nations will take a firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and they'll be saying to that Jew who is, and, and the context is this Jew is one of the um, faithful remnant, right, after the exile. They're back in Jerusalem and they're going to take a hold of him and say, let, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. Let us go with you because we've heard the stories that the God you worship is actually present with you. He's evidently with you and we want that for our own lives. This is a pretty cool message for the faithful remnant to hear and it's reminding them of the whole purpose that they were chosen for. It's reminding them of their identity in Christ and as God's people. The idea of 10 people is the idea of a whole or complete number. You know, it's just it, 10, there's no, not much significance to that other than he's just saying there's going to be a lot. Everyone, everyone is going to want to be a part of it. Everyone from all languages and nations are going to want to take a hold of you in order that they can have some of what you've got. You know, when you read it in the message, it sounds a bit like this. Hey, have you seen what this faithful remnant of God's people are experiencing? Have you seen the blessings they receive from God? Maybe we should, maybe we should try and get in on this. You know, that, that's what other nations are saying. Have a look at the way God is treating his people. Maybe we should come and see, see if we can worship God and see if we can receive blessings the same way they do. Shouldn't we at least try and see what it's all about? So far, God's saying other nations are going to see the difference that it makes when you're living in right relationship with me. Take me to Jerusalem. I want to ask your God to give me whatever he's giving you. And at a time when God's faithful remnant was focused on themselves, possibly, and at a time when God's remnant was enjoying the fact that, hey, we've got our lives back in Jerusalem, you know, things are starting to look up after 70 years in exile. And, and one could assume there might have even been a little bit of pride involved in this, in the rebuilding. You know, maybe a sense of, yes, this is going to be great. This is going to be good for us. We'll finally be able to do our own thing and be our own people again. And then God reminds them of who they are. Sure, they've been chosen. Sure, they've been given a special place in the temple. They've been given a promised land, a special covenant relationship, but the purpose of it all, the purpose of all of these blessings 
and the purpose of our spiritual blessings in Christ is that the rest of the people on earth will be able to see. They'll be able to see what it means to live in right relationship with the living God. Not just so that they can see from a distance, but as they see and hear, they themselves would be interested. They themselves would want to come and be a part of it. And we're touching on one of the key themes of the Bible, right? God's heart for all people, for all creation, no matter who you are, where you've come from. Sure, he chooses people. We, we, we see that. It's some, you know, you, you think of um, Saul who becomes Paul and it's just like God just grabbed him and said, no, you're going to be mine and I'm going to use you. He does that, right? And he did that with the nation of Israel too. But he does that to, to kind of make these people beacons of light for everyone else to see the way. And so in Genesis 12, if you go right back to the start of the Bible, looking in Genesis 12, it's, the, it's really the opening after the creation narrative. Genesis 12, you've got Abraham there and God establishes his relationship with him. And he's like the father of the nation of Israel. This is what he says. I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So he's like, I'm going to do all of these awesome things for you. This is going to happen, and I'm establishing that covenant with you, but it's because I want all people on earth to be blessed through you. And you can read in Isaiah 56, verses 6 to 8, and it's talking about the fact that Gentiles... Foreigners, people who aren't in the nation of Israel, this chosen nation, they're, they're actually, God makes provision for them, in, for them in the temple. He says, foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. All who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain, right, which is where Jerusalem is. And give them joy in my house of prayer. So he's still talking about foreigners there. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, excuse me, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. So you, you, you can just see, I could just go example after example if I wanted to. And actually, interestingly, when Ezra and Nehemiah bring people back to Jerusalem from exile, they actually um, don't do this. They don't accept any Gentiles. They kind of do this purification of, of any foreigner out of the nation of Israel and they, and they just tell them to go away and they expel them. And it's, and it's actually... While God uses them to rebuild the walls and, and, and Jerusalem and so on, they're actually not doing what God wants. They're actually not being um, as inclusive as God wants them to be. And it's a real problem. You can see um, on the day of Pentecost, Peter is in Jerusalem sharing the good news with all the Jewish pilgrims who've come to come to um, Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Weeks, right? That Jewish festival. So you've got them from all over the place and they're confused because they're speaking in other languages and there's a whole lot of 
misunderstanding going on. And Peter stands up and he quotes the prophet Joel. And what does he say there in Acts 2, 17? He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on Israel, on all people, he says. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And so there's one last passage we want to go to before um, we start making application for ourselves, and that's in the Gospel of Mark. It's kind of going to touch on exactly what we've been talking about already. We're talking about the temple. We're talking about um, Gentiles coming to worship God, all people being included in relationship with God, what God's house is all about and what his heart is all about. So in Mark 11, starting at verse 15, it's Monday of the Passion Week, the week where Jesus is leading up to his death on the cross and Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem again from Bethany. And it says this, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. As he taught them, he said, is it not written... My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So what's Jesus doing here when he gets, gets in the temple and he has a problem, right? He has a problem with the marketplace that was set up in the temple court, even though, not because it was a marketplace, it was actually necessary for people to buy um, things, with, buy animals for their sacrifices, especially if they've traveled a long way. It was necessary for them to exchange currencies so that they could give the temple tax in the right, um, right currency and all of that stuff was, was um, necessary. But the problem Jesus had was where they'd set up their marketplace, right? And it was in the specific area of the temple courts that was designated for the Gentiles to carry out their worship. Right, there, there were all different areas and designations set aside for people to come and come and worship. Right, and the one that was given for people from other nations to come and seek God in prayer and come and ask of Him for things, and come and align themselves with what they've seen in the nation of Israel, that was being turned into a noisy, crowded, smelly marketplace. And Jesus wanted to show them this is not right. This is not the heart of God. This is not why God created his house. And he quotes Isaiah 56, as we said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And, and when we say <clears throat> house of prayer, we're not saying um, a place where people can come and pray, although that's part of it. But that idea of prayer is that, that living relationship with God. That's the place where we live out our relationship with him where it's that two-way communication. It's that place where day in, day out, we can come and connect, right? God's saying that's for all nations, for all people. And he says, you've made it a den of robbers. He's casting judgment on the fact that they're, they're robbing people of their ability to connect with God. They're, they're misusing the temple and the leaders were misguided. And really, they're just misguided in not realising the special purpose for which they were chosen. They thought, wow, we're special because we're chosen. Isn't that good? You know, everyone else, they're kind of, you know, not too important. 
But gee, we're special because God chose us. That was their way of thinking. And, and Jesus is saying, no, you're special for a reason. And it's that others, others could come and see God and experience him, him for themselves. And so I think the application starts for us in this, that we're chosen for this very special purpose as well. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. He's talking about us now. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So if we've been brought out of darkness, we've experienced the light of Christ in our lives, and if we're living in relationship with Jesus, then that blessing and transformation was given to us so that we could declare to others what he's done for us, that our lives would be a declaration, that we'd be beacons of light now for others to see. It's been done that others would know who Jesus is. You know, when Jesus called the first disciples, he said to them, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Right? The idea was that they stepped out of their old life in the fishing boat and as they started to follow Jesus and set their lives towards his path and what he wanted for them, other people were going to catch on to it. He was going to use them to invite others into that experience. This is actually discipleship. This is who we are as a church. When God tells the remnant that other nations will come because they've heard that God is with them, he's saying that the way to get other people to know Jesus is to know him yourself. He's saying, set yourselves right with me. You know, live out the covenant relationship. Other people are going to see it. And as they come, let them come. You know, I think about the desire that I have um, in my life to see family saved, to see friends know Jesus, to see the church grow, to see people um, align themselves with the truth that I've found or that, or that God has, you know, invited me to experience. And I think it boils down to I need to create personal transformation for myself, you know. I'm, I'm not going to see corporate transformation if I don't first uh, come to God with, with humility and say, what sin do I have in my life that needs changing? Rather than being concerned for the way I see sin in others, um, you know, it's what, what do I need to change about myself? Rather than just, just thinking, oh, why can't, why can't so-and-so do this and that? It's like, no, what, what can I do? And I don't think it's about doing more for Jesus. I don't think it's about doing more at church. I think it's about just setting aside some time to listen to God. What is it? It doesn't even have to be very long, but just saying, God, what's the thing you want me to do? What does it look like for me to commit myself wholeheartedly to you to stop everything else in my life just to listen to him speak? You know, and in that space, there'll be transformation. In that space, we'll be aligning ourselves with him. It's like stepping out of the boat and leaving the fishing boat behind. You know, and as you push into Jesus, it's kind of like um, you, you kind of get pushed back out <laughs> after a while. I wonder what other people hear about us, you know. 
other nations. God said other nations will hear the stories about the fact that God is with us. What do other people hear about us in our lives? Do we have a story to tell about what God has done in our life? Do we have a story to tell at all, a testimony about what God has done? I think the challenge is for us to um, take time to be with God. I feel like I preach the same message every week. (laughs) Hey, guys, take time to be with Jesus. (laughs) Listen to him. See See what he's prompting you to do. And then as you change, as you step into that in faith, people are going to hear the story of what happens. They're going to see the story of what happens. And then as they come, is there anything in our lives that makes it difficult for them to experience the same thing? You know, are we setting up a marketplace in our life that crowds out other people from being able to access Jesus? I think it's a, it's a very simple formula, you know, and it, and it actually starts with us. That's the hard part about it. God invites us to be changed first before anyone else changes. Just wondering whether I should share a story, but... Mm. No, I won't do it. Sorry. I'm going to finish there in prayer. <laughs> and um, I want to invite you to respond. And um, yeah, I just want you to just maybe ask God, is there anything in your life that's, being, that's blocking others from accessing him? Is there a story you need to tell about what God has done in your life? to encourage others. Have we been spending too much time uh, focused on, you know, just soaking up the blessings for ourselves and not, not giving it, not passing it on to other people the way God designed for it to be? Lord, whatever it is for us, um, we just pray that you'd lead us. We want to see corporate change happen. We want to see our church grow. We want to see our families and friends come to know you. But it, but it actually starts with us. And I pray that you'd help us to just take a necessary step, whatever it is. And that we'd fix our eyes on you and we'd be focused on you. That others would hear stories of how our lives have changed. I pray, I pray that you'd pour your spirit out on us, God, that others would see and desire the same. So tell us who we need to talk to. Tell us what relationships need to be repaired. Tell us what steps of faith we need to take. Tell us where we need to be reading in our Bibles. Tell us what we need to be bringing to you in prayer. Tell us what confessions we need, to, we need to make. Tell us where we need to ask for forgiveness. Tell us where we need to pray for healing. Whatever it is, God, I pray that you'd give us the, the prompting today to take the first step towards um, being a beacon of light for others.
and whatever it is about our lives, God, that needs to be torn down, that needs, you know, the tables flipped over and, and to be driven out, that's blocking others from seeing you and, and your light in our lives. Help us to just be cleansed of those things, both as a church, corporately and individually, God. Commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.